Hey everyone, you're listening to the 107 Audiocast. I'm your host, Ivan Stegic, and this is episode 20 of the podcast where we get together every fortnight to explore technology, business, and the humans that direct it. This week, Eric Zakovich, Principal Consultant at Employee Strategies, an organizational development and improvement firm, is on to talk about their mission to create great places to work. Eric, welcome to the 107 Audiocast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And number 20, congratulations on hitting that number. Thank you. It's, uh, it's taken us a while to figure it out, but I think, I think we're doing okay. So, Eric, you grew up in Wisconsin and made your way to Minneapolis by the University of Minnesota. Why Minnesota? Well, there's a, a really easy answer to that. There's this deal called reciprocity where they give you the same state, <laughs> same tuition rates as in-state. That was certainly a factor, the economics of it. But also sure. Minneapolis as a region or a city was just a really attractive place to live and work. And I thought, you know, maybe I'd like to stay there. Maybe I'd like to live there. It seems like the kind of area that I might want to make my home. Um, so that was attractive when I went off to school, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Logic to me said that, you know, the bigger the university, the more options, the more places to go, the more different kinds of people you'll meet, the more companies that might be in the area to make a career at. That guided my uh, decision to, to come to Minnesota, and, and I, I pretty much stayed ever since. And what was the focus of your work? What did it end up being? Because you just mentioned that you didn't exactly know. So how, how did that evolve? There's a couple of things that interested me in my time at school. My major ended up being political science. Now, what I wanted to do with, was actually be a lawyer, which wouldn't have suited me in hindsight. And wow. uh, something in like the pit of my stomach about a month or so before I was you know, scheduled to start uh, law school told me, don't, don't go. So I withdrew and uh, needed to find a job. You know, that left me kind of uh, unsure what to do with political science. But backing up a little bit about what, what interested me in that major, it really is all about how do groups of people, how do big, in a, in a political environment, in a, in a national or in a state, any sort of governmental organization, how do you get decisions made? How do you get groups of people to work together? How do you make things better? That was what kind of drew me to that arena or that, that area of study. It was, it was really how do you get groups of people working together? And that guided my way here, I guess. And you certainly work with different sized groups of people in your everyday work um, with employee strategies. Tell us about your first job out of college. I, I know that it wasn't at employee strategies. Right. I, know, I, I know there must have been something in between, right? Right. Oh, yeah. You know, the first one I would probably mention, and there's a connection to employee strategies, it took a contractor job. So if you've ever heard manpower, again, I, this, is, this is in the, the time where I didn't know what I wanted to be yet. I uh, went down to manpower and I said, I just, I just need a gig. I need something while I figure this out. I got assigned. I don't know if it was luck, fate, you know, just chance. I got assigned to a position at a local utility. While there, uh, my assignment you know, basically was in HR. And I saw this group of people whose job was to 
you know, train leaders, uh, help them and their teams uh, improve, help the organization, uh, the organizational systems like performance management or succession planning or, you know, hiring and staffing, those kinds of things, uh, you know, design them in a way that, you know, intentionally guides the organization in the direction it wants to go. And I saw this team and I thought, well, that's really interesting. That's that kind of work. I didn't know that was a job. I, I, I frankly, I didn't know that was a, a career I could even pursue. This is back in the nineties when, you know, they didn't have classes in college that told you, you know, helped you explore and figure that out. And I just, yeah. I, I never figured it out. I was, I was lucky in that regard that I uh, happened to land there. One really cool thing I think about people in my profession is they really value human development, education, learning. So when somebody raises their hand, which I, which I did and said, Hey, I want to learn more about what you do and how you do it. They're really inviting and welcoming and, you know, brought me along to things and let me shadow them, gave me things to read, lots of things to read, um, lots of things to do. And eventually got an opportunity to kind of consult with them. And that was really my, my first break in into this industry. And the person that you shadowed and that you worked with, was that Jay or was that someone else? You know, I, Jay was one of many. We had a team, I, it was around seven or eight really experienced consultants. Uh, if you've ever seen a movie where there's a crack team and there's like a demolitions expert mm-hmm. and there's the person who's like kung fu expert. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, the knives person and, mm-hmm. you know, a person who can break into anything. Uh, this team kind of had that makeup where it had people that were specialists. Had, yeah, yeah. All different areas of expertise. Jay, you know, Jay had a whole wide variety of things, but, you know, Jay and a number of other mentors there kind of each took their crack at teaching me what they, what they knew. Just a great place to, to learn and grow. So Jay is the founder of Employee Strategies, and I met you through 10.7's work with Employee Strategies. I like to think of Employee Strategies as many things, but usually when I think of you guys, it's, it's the first interaction that we had with you from a business to business, and I think of you as the company shrink. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. It's definitely a compliment. <laughs> so, so I met Jay Forrest through the uh, office that 107 was sharing. This was in 2010. And I understand that you met Jay through the job you had at Excel. Mm-hmm. You started working at Employee Strategies as a consultant. Mm-hmm. So now you're part of the Employee Strategies team. What is it that employee strategies actually does? Mm-hmm. You know, I know what your mission is, and maybe mm-hmm. you could talk about that as well. Really, we want to make great places to work. Put another way is that we, we believe that bad jobs kill people slowly, you know, rather painfully. You know, how, working someplace where you don't feel, where it doesn't fit you, can be stressful, it can impact your family, impacts your health. Um, so ultimately... You know, we want to solve for that and make every workplace a workplace that people feel welcomed and valued and like they can contribute their all. That is the purpose. That is the mission of our team. What we do is a couple of things. We often work with leaders just one-to-one, coaching them, guiding them through changes they want to make. Usually that starts with asking a lot of questions and learning from them. We'll also work with their teams help them learn new habits, 
institute new practices or systems that are going to improve their work environment and their ability to produce the results they want, you know, in a way that is right for them, I guess, you know, lives the, their company values. So we'll often do exercises helping teams explore and understand what is it that they really value. You know, so those are two of the sort of biggest things we do with teams. We also do some leadership development and coaching. I mentioned coaching leaders, but training leaders, um, doing 360s with leaders. So some assessment, that's kind of the big buckets of work that we do. I know the work we did with you to hone in our values and our mission was invaluable. And we refer to those every day in our job and, and our, you know, how we develop our company. So that certainly was incredibly helpful. I didn't know we needed that help. When I first met Jay, I didn't think we needed any kind of help at all. I mean, I think we were at about three, four employees And I knew that Jay existed, wasn't kind of sure what his company did, but then we developed a problem, right? There was an internal issue that we had that we needed resolving. And the first person I thought of was Jay. So I called him. We became a client of employee strategies. Question is, how do you convince owners of companies of the value that employee strategies has without there being a problem that company actually needs to solve? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really great question. If we can get to the bottom of this, I think our sales will take off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. I'd like a cut, please. <laughs> that's great. There has to be something there. No organization doesn't have a challenge whether you're growing so fast that you can't keep up with your customer's demand and you, you know maybe you can't attract enough talent or you're not growing fast enough or you're not able to sustain your business. Maybe there's internal pain points like you've got employees in conflict or you have some alignment problem. Maybe you're focused on too many things and nothing's getting done. There's always something, some reason that we start working with a client. If everything's perfect, which really in, in reality, if we're all really honest with ourselves, there's nothing that's perfect in any of our either personal lives or organizational lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have something we're not able to help. We can't convince the client. Our role is more to understand what the client's needs are and try to help them understand it. Like you had said, you're, you didn't know that you wanted to clarify your values. Uh, but when we started working together and we asked you some questions about what they were, it was hard to sort of wrap your words around or articulate it. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you got clear of, of that and you can make all sorts of changes within your team. So prospecting for new clients is then inherently difficult because you can't just send an email or have a phone call or, or a cold call with someone and say, hey, you should hire us. You really have to depend on the network and the relationships you have and you need to have an element of trust so that someone will believe you that you can help them how do you prospect for clients Mm -hmm. that don't know they need you that's a great question i mean most of our business comes from our relationships that we develop with people and it's rarely the first conversation we have with somebody we're always having coffees right like we drink a lot of coffee (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've developed what I'd say is an immunity to, to caffeine. <laughs> it has no discernible effect on me at this point. We're really interested. 
curious, and we love meeting people. And to do this work, you have to really enjoy people and all parts of them. You know, you're meeting with people that are sometimes in just a ton of pain, typically not physical, but they're experiencing a lot of pain in their organizations. And perhaps they express that pain to a colleague who says, you know, I worked with Eric or Jay or employee strategies, and you should talk to them. They helped me think about my pain and, you know, valuable conversation I had with them, or I did some work with them. So those referrals that we get, those are the thing that leads to most of our business. It's really word of mouth. We're not the kind of business that could put up a billboard or put our face on the bus stop or really any other way. And, and you, of course, your work, it's not all touchy and feely. And that's one of the wonderful aspects of your company that I appreciate. It's in tune with the humans that work for us, for, for in our team, with their emotions. But your work is also based on research, on data, on theories and science that has proven results over the many years of organizational development. How do you balance those two aspects in your company, but specifically targeted towards the needs of your clients? Because I would imagine you have different clients with different needs, right? Maybe you have to, like, how do you balance that? Absolutely. You know, the first thing we do is we collect a lot of data. You probably recall that uh, we did some surveys, surveys. With, your, with your customers, got input. We asked you a lot of questions. We asked your team a lot of questions when we would get together with them to understand the situation so that we could apply that science. We're living in an age where there is so much social science, you know, behavioral economics research out there that can be applied. And like in many scientific disciplines, sometimes the information that's coming at us is contradictory or confusing. You know, eggs are bad, eggs are good. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? Whites are bad. No, yolks are good. No, the whole egg's bad. I don't know. <laughs> Eat turkey eggs. I don't know. <laughs> is that even a thing? <laughs> um, <laughs> so for us, you know, getting clear on what are those principles, what are the things that we can dis distill that makes sense to us, that we believe in, that we have about this work and what makes teams and humans work well together. We have a few things that we often draw upon, you know, a few data points that are backed up by lots of science. One thing I'll just to point out as an example, foundational to every organization that we work with to improvement is increasing trust, no matter where they're at. And trust might be the, you know, the source of the problem of trust might be different for different teams. So it could be people don't share information about themselves. They're all overly private, leaving questions about people's motives or their, you know, their intentions for the business or, you know, personal motives, or perhaps people don't follow through on their work. Uh, so they, they can't be trusted, so to speak, to do what they say. So we work with teams on all sorts of, you know, reasons why there might be lack of trust, but, you know, a common thing is, Effective teams trust one another and they are able to talk to each other and have productive uh, dialogue. They have conflict, actually. A lot of uh, a big challenge that I think a lot of leaders have is engaging in conflict productively. We want to avoid it. We think conflict is bad um, when conflict in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. It's just two people having a different view or a different opinion on things. And once we can help leaders and teams learn that, they're much more equipped to be able to, you know, lean into that conflict and resolve it so they can move forward on whatever it is that we need to move forward on. 
So one of the components of a great place to work that you just talked about is trust. Mm -hmm. What else makes a place to work great? Well, trust uh, makes makes a team great. I think there's a number of factors probably weigh in there. I think people being clear about results that you need or where we're headed, direction, what kind of results we need to get as an organization, what are we really shooting for, having you know, clarity of goals or of purpose. Those, those pieces are really foundational. Otherwise, it's just a group of people getting together and nobody's really sure on where we're headed, so you can't really work together. So I think you know, healthy organizations have clarity of what results they're after and they're able to work towards them together. So that's something I see, as well as trust, ability to have conflict. Uh, healthy organizations have high levels of commitment or engagement. You know, they have people who are not just interested in showing up every day, they're interested in, in making it better. So I, it's another kind of thing that I look for in the in organizations that I work with. You know, what's the percentage of people that are actually interested in improving the situation, whether it's improving a process, improving your product, improving the customer experience, improving speed, reducing costs, you know, increasing the volume of sales. If you've got people that are focused on making it better, that is um, that's something that's a, a signal to me that you've got a, a great organization. So let's say that there is a leader out there who is listening, who really wants to make sure that that person's company is a great place to work and is concerned about their employees and decide that they want to work with employee strategies and with with you, Eric, and they talk to you, you ask them a lot of questions. Can you take us through kind of what the process would look like Mm -hmm. after someone's engaged with you? And then how do you measure kind of what the results are? We have a proven process, we call it. We have a approach that we use. We use it and the client client uses it along with us because nothing we do, uh, we don't come and fix your culture for you. We come and work on your culture with you. Mm. Client involvement in the solution is essential. The first thing we would do, we'd sit down and we'd have a conversation about you know, your organization, what you see as the problem. We often call this the presenting problem. Sometimes what we see as the issue isn't actually the issue. To use an analogy, I might, uh, I might be experiencing some leg pain. And I'm a runner, and I've experienced leg pain before, but where I see you smiling because I know this is <laughs> getting home for you. But that might actually be caused by an injury to your back, logging too many miles or not focusing enough on your core. And so sometimes we, we, we need to do a good diagnosis, and that's our, really our first step. So talking to the, the business leader um, is the first step, but we love to collect more data. You know, part of our process is um, surveying the team or the organization. Sometimes it's um, doing some interviews or focus groups to learn more, uh, dig in on some of that data a little more. Sometimes it's doing even observation, just things that we're seeing when we're there with the team. So that's really the first step. Uh, the second step is for us to make sense of that information. We have a we have a team of us. We're not, you know, it's not just me and Jay. There's six of us. So we all sit down and look at that information together and uh, try to dissect and analyze it. We have benchmarks and things that we are usually um, you know, comparing this team to. And we, we synthesize that information in a way that makes sense, that creates sort of a story in our mind. 
we feed that story back to management. You know, here's what we think is going on. Here's the problems we see. Here's the opportunities we see. Here's what's really working. Here's your strengths. Does this make sense to you? So uh, we have to check it out and validate it with leadership or management. It's not just our opinion. It needs to jive with their own view of things. You know, that leg pain you're experiencing, might it be coming from your back? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> have you had an injury there before? You know, so we can get better information when we partner with management you know, to do that analysis in a way. Uh, from there, we usually have some suggested improvement areas. That, that could be a lot of things. You know, sometimes empl- employees you know, don't trust the, you know, the organization that they work with or others in the organization because they don't feel cared for. You know, perhaps it's the, the physical environment they're actually working in tells them that nobody cares about you. Uh, sometimes it's, we don't know why we're coming to work every day and creating these widgets. Uh, we don't know what the purpose is. So we recommend clarifying your purpose or your values. I don't know what's expected of me. That's a, that's a question sometimes that comes up. We're not clear. We're just you're here doing stuff. There's a lot of things that it can be, but um, we'll, we'll suggest improvements. It might mean training leaders. It might mean working with management, coaching leaders. It might mean coaching the team or helping the team see more productive behaviors. So there's a, a variety of solutions. And as a follow-up, we usually, we usually measure again. You know, we ask those same questions that we asked at the beginning again to see, did something change? Did things get better? And beyond that, are we getting better results? Anything we do should, should result in either lower turnover and you know, improved employee retention or key employee retention. It might be stronger performance measures. It might be increased safety if you're a, a work environment where that's a concern. It might mean you've, you're generating more sales or some other, some other business measure. So, yeah, we'd like to see some real you know, improvements beyond even just the, the predictive measure of people are more engaged here. One of the steps you mentioned was taking this synthesized data that you've looked at as a team and bringing it back to leadership or to management and saying, does this make sense to you? How do you deal with resistance that you get from management? You know, sometimes there's wisdom in that resistance. You know, sometimes there's a reason for it. Perhaps this is a big shock to management. You know, one time put our uh, lessons learned on blast, uh, if you if you've ever seen Bob Ross, you know Bob Ross. The oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He Great. says he sometimes says, "What a happy mistake!" <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and so we had a happy mistake once where you know we we sat with a client, we were pointing out so many problems that they had, we didn't acknowledge all the great things going on. You know, we're so focused along with management. We're hired, you know, we're hired there and we want to we want to point out every opportunity for improvement. So sometimes overlooking some of the strengths that an organization has can be a point of resistance. So what's the wisdom that's there? Is it that we haven't acknowledged their their strengths? Is it that we didn't get the data right or something? Let's check that out. Sometimes it's, you know, this is change. This is very personal to to leaders. They think they've done something wrong and that might not be the case at all to help them see the data as this is a point in time, this is something we can change if we want to and if we're committed to it. I want to switch gears just a little bit. I love that we're talking about what you guys do and how you help people in their work environments and leaders. I want to hear a little bit about what a day in the life of Eric Z, what does it look like? 
<laughs> That's a good question. A day in the life? A work, work day. Work, work day. day. Yeah. yeah, good. You start out and you run 10 miles in the morning, and then you, <laughs> <laughs> then you go to work and you run another five for lunch. And Yeah, oh, right. Uh, <laughs> I wish. Uh, my body wishes that that was the case, too. Day in the work life, you know, it's a really varied day. It's, it can be a lot of things. In any given day, I might be connecting with, talking with three or four clients, you know, helping them with an issue. But a typical day might, might mean, um, well, I'll pick a, a couple days from last week just to give you a, an idea of a nice. typical week might be a better, a better view. One day this last week, we did a series of 360s for an organization. This is a, a leadership assessment that they get data from their direct reports, from peers, from their boss on how they're performing as a leader. And it's a humbling experience. Mm. Something we do is we sit down with those leaders and help them interpret that data one-to-one over about an hour and a half. These are the therapy sessions you talked about. <laughs> one day I did five of those for an organization. So sort of that must five. be mentally draining for you. What? <laughs> well, it, it can be physically exhausting. Yeah. 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 But it's such impactful work. You walk away from each of those conversations filled with sense of excitement for that person because they've got just a couple of things that they might need to work on that are going to make a big difference for them mm-hmm. and, and probably for their teams too. So really impactful to do that work. But that was one day this, this past week. I did, I did just that for a day. Another typical day might be facilitating a team retreat. Uh, I had a day this last week where I was with a group of eight leaders uh, from an organization and we planned out their goals for this next year and not just their organizational goals, but their team member goals, their call center. Um, So what do team members need to do to, to meet those organizational goals? And then what do they as leaders need to do to help their team members meet those goals? Uh, Mapping that all out, making sure it's all aligned and that the team is in agreement so that they can be committed. That was the purpose of that retreat. I facilitated a retreat one day. Uh, Other days might be connecting with some prospective clients to understand their their needs. Oftentimes there's follow-up work from that. Somebody might ask me for a proposal, so I'll have to articulate what I heard them say. So those are some examples of typical moments in my week. It's really varied, and it's, uh, it's usually pretty exhilarating. What you described seemed like a lot of interaction with other people in real time in, in you know, face-to-face. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to ask you what your favorite part of the day or week is, but I think you may have just described your favorite parts. I, I can't believe that you don't sit down and do some email and, and instant messaging and Slack and so on as well. So um, can you pick your favorite part? Oof. You know, I think it's those team sessions that I just okay. heard. Yeah, I love, I love those because there's a number of reasons why. Uh, one, you know, at the end of the day, usually you've accomplished a lot. They're intense. You know, the intention anytime we do a team session is to, it's essentially like a practice for a team. You know, the game is when they're out there serving customers or, you know, leading employees through a situation. Like, that's the game. You know, these are practice so it's practice how we engage in conflict or practice how we talk to each other. We don't use that word like, hey, we're here to practice, but that's really yeah, yeah. what's kind of happening. So helping a team, you know, essentially coaching them through the practice, you know, helping them see how they're showing up 
and correct the behavior in the moment in a way that they can they can see it and they can make that change when they're in the game. That's some of the most exciting kind of thrilling work that I think I, I get to do. But you're right. There's emails to follow up on. There's, you know, invoicing that, you know, we need to like check over, make sure is right. There's all sorts of, we call it the suck it up buckos. It's just, you got to suck it up and do something. Suck it up and do it. Yeah. Stuff that, you know, everybody has to do. In addition to the mission and the values that we established as a company when we worked with you, one of the valuable things that came out of the sessions was this idea of above the line and below the line behavior. Mm -hmm. And it really helped crystallize what's cool and what's not cool to do (laughs) at 10.7, right? And it allows everyone to be the policeman of those values within our company. Have you done that at Employee Strategies? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do have that. Did you do it with another company? Or did you do introspection and apply your own processes to yourselves? And we have a saying, we, we like to eat our own cooking. So we, anything we are asking our clients to do, uh, typically we've done it on ourselves and we've, we've had to wrestle with it, which is really hard to do to sort of step outside. Yeah. You almost feel like a bit of a, a Jedi. It's like reach out. <laughs> and so we have done that. We have gotten clear. I really liked your description of what's cool and not cool. <laughs> what I like about that above the line, below the line, it, it's a way to just check your behavior in a really simple, easy way. So it keeps teams working together effectively. Sometimes those personal slights can build and snowball and if you if you got a shorthand like you know hey that's cool or not cool or that's below the line you can head it off before things snowball we've done it on ourselves but perhaps you're giving me a good idea that maybe we, from time to time it might might benefit us to get some outside help i recently started working with an executive coach it's amazing the kind of perspective you can get when you talk to someone who altruistically wants to help you, but isn't invested in any kind, you know, in any shape in your business Mm -hmm. and doesn't have the internal perspective of employees and team members that they would. I was kind of curious about if that's even possible for Mm -hmm. a company like yourself. I love the description of eating your own cooking Mm -hmm. Because that's, that's kind of exactly what we try to do. We're not going to launch a new site with new technology, a major change, unless we've done it for ourselves first. And it, it kind of sounds like the way you were describing the work you've been doing for yourself. Yeah. And I have to acknowledge, it's really hard to do it on ourselves because it requires that we are both like guiding ourselves and participating in you know, a discussion that might be uncomfortable. It is hard. It is challenging. It can be done, but it, it requires a lot of, you know, big investment of your own effort and time. I feel like we're almost at the end of our audio cast, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to say something, ask something. Yeah. Um, you're looking at notes. Now I'm a little worried. <laughs> <laughs> I have about five things I have on my list. So okay. Okay. Down. One of the things that I enjoyed most about our work with you was 
how it seemed like uh, once you discovered your personal and team like why statement, how that seemed to almost set you on fire in a positive way. Like it really gave you a North Star or something that, you know, just clarified something for you, or at least that's what it looked like to me. It seemed like when we when we talk about it, I'm curious for you, what, what was it like to figure that out? And how did that sort of impact the way you saw your business and the way you started to uh, run your business? I know you've made a lot of changes over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. They're really exciting to watch and learn about. So I'm curious how you see that changing you. Before we started working with you, and as we started collecting data, I was concerned that we would get the mission wrong, even though I didn't know what that mission was. And I wasn't sure that it was even possible of like articulating what we were about. But through your methodology, through the data that you took, through the analysis, through the discussions that we had with you, that I had with you, there was certainly an element of trust that was built up. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to trust the data and I'm going to trust what comes out of this. When the statement came out, and it wasn't something that your team said was our statement, and it wasn't something that I said was our mission, it was something that we collaboratively came up with, I realized that everybody had invested in it and valued it and believed it, the statement itself, which is by working together, we can create incredible things, really resonated with me. And I think that's why it fired us up. It Mm -hmm. covered the collaborative aspect of everything we do. And it didn't only refer to the collaboration between ourselves as a team, but with the team that we were working with, which whoever the clients were, whether they were partners that we were working on a project together or the or a client who was actually paying the bills it also didn't limit us to just a website it allowed us to build things that were maybe relationships or maybe they were websites maybe they were something else and once we had that guiding star as you called it it really allowed us to kind of focus on what brings us together every morning and allows us to continue working together so I think it was the fact that you, I, you helped us identify what our mission was, and I felt like you got it right, like we got it right. I think that was the fiery part. Yeah, interesting the way you, I loved hearing what you said there. Like your mission had collab, has collaboration in it. It's in the words. But also the way you got there was collaborative. Every single team yeah. member contributed to that. So you really like the way you got to your mission was living your mission. I suppose that makes sense, but it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of amazing to, to hear that as I think about it here. So another thing that has really impressed me about your journey over the few years I've gotten to know you is this leap you've made to having a distributed workforce. It's <laughs> amazing to go from, you know, the office that you guys had, which was really cool, by the way. I love the light that hung over the conference table with the Super Mario. <laughs> You've taken this huge leap of faith where you almost have to have more trust in your traditional work environment because you can't see what people are working on. You can't walk past somebody's cube and see if they're Facebooking or something. 
maybe for some managers listening in, it might be one of their biggest fears is how will I monitor if people are really putting in a good effort? So I'm, I'm curious about how did you get to that place where you could have that much trust in your team? How did you, what was that journey like? And was there a moment or moments where you said, okay, I can take this leap? My team has a great deal of trust in me and in what I do. Clearly. And I never feel like I've been questioned in anything I do. I think part of it is they deserve the same amount of trust in the work that they do. I often say we're all adults. We all have a reason why we work. Partly it's to get paid so we can get our own bills paid. But part of it is to create something. And we, and we do that and we have a process where it's a collaborative goal and a, a collaborative creation. At the end of the day, I think the days when, if you remember that show Office Space, mm-hmm. when boss dude with the weird glasses walks out to cube land and visually surveys the area to make sure that everybody's there, and that's a measure of work production, those days are gone. If that's still occurring, my opinion is that management and those leaders aren't truly grasping what productivity and what uh, engaged workforce really is. I I remember the day when I I decided we were going to become distributed. It was the day I had a conversation with one of our developers who said, you know, I feel like I can get a whole lot more work done when I'm at home. The commute is, you know, eating away time. I don't really want it to eat away We've already tried working, you know, one day a week, two days a week at home as a team. I would like to try doing it 24-7. I have to admit, I was a little nervous. And when I thought about why I was nervous, I realized that there really wasn't a reason to be. This guy was going to be doing the same thing he was doing at his desk in the office, at home, He was probably going to be happier because he wouldn't have to fight finding parking downtown Minneapolis, setting up, walking in, and doing the same thing over in the evening. And honestly, we have the tools that can bring us together. And I think being able to give that trust to one person and then realizing that it's the same across everyone was instrumental. I don't know what part of the brain makes you still cling on to the past in certain, you know, like for fear, maybe it's a fear response. Consciously, I knew that this was what we were going to do. I decided that we were going to do that. I kept around the in-person meetings to still have kind of face-to-face meetings and presence. It's not necessary for work mm-hmm. and for servicing our clients and for servicing our professional development we have tools that can help us do that. But there is something about being together in a team environment that in physically in presence is still necessary. I feel like we do that on a fairly regular basis now. It's maybe once a month. I don't know how that's going to change over the next year. I do know that other distributed companies all have at least one annual retreat. Everybody goes and attends And it becomes a little harder when you're at 50 or 60 employees to do that. And so what ends up happening is they have two retreats a year where specific teams 
that are maybe functionally similar end up having their own separate retreat. And there's still value to being there in person. To answer your question, I think it has to do with trust. You have to be able to trust your employees and, and it's, it's a respectful thing to do, especially when they have that amount of trust in you. That's great. I have one more question, but I don't know if we have time. We, we have time. We can make time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you have four values that came out of some of the work that we, that we did. I'm curious how those evolved over, you know, from working together in a, you know, co-located work environment to this distributed environment. Have people had to shift how those look or how those sort of evolved or have some become even more important as, you know, as you move to the distributed workforce? So you've got honesty, mindfulness, sharing, and speaking plainly. Mm -hmm. Are there some that more or less evolved in, in terms of either their importance or how they were demonstrated? We established these values about three years ago we became fully distributed officially about a year ago. So we've had about a year to live with our values in kind of an officeless environment. And we checked in with you guys earlier this year to see if we needed values 2.0 or values 1.1. And what we decided was these values work for us. They're, they're still what we believe. They're still how we live our lives at work. And they're still the guiding values of our company. I think that the values we chose are still appropriate and they don't seem to have changed. Like we, we didn't decide that we needed something else or we didn't decide that we needed to take one away just because we became officeless and distributed. I focus more on the first two, mindfulness and honesty, uh, than I do on the second two, which are almost a part of the first two. So sharing and speaking plainly could be thought of as being a mindful thing to do when you're talking to clients or talking to your fellow coworker. I think you do need to have honesty when you're working at home alone and you do have to be mindful of your time because you can get distracted and you can get so logistically and tactically mindfulness at home when you're distributed, you have to be more stringent about it. Mm -hmm. And, and honestly, you have to be honest. <laughs> you have to be more honest when you're at home and not in the office. Mm -hmm. uh, because you're, you're saying, I'm checking in. And are you checking in? Well, we trust you're checking in. You're there. You're working. I don't think our values have changed. I think I probably focus more on the first two. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see how the next year evolves. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe the distributed officeless environment will have us add or tweak, but not so far. Well, it's really interesting to hear. We didn't have another client that made a change like this. And, and their value to hear that your values have endured suggests to me that you really got them right. You know, there's not a right or wrong with what values an organization picks. I guess what would be wrong would be if an organization picks something that's inauthentic to who they are. I've walked into, you know, big corporations where they have their values kind of plastered on the wall and they're always things like it's always collaboration and integrity. The customer service to the customer. It's always a lot of those things and those couldn't be the right things or they could be just words that they picked. And to hear that these values have endured for you is, is just exciting and I'm enjoying kind of following your journey here. So congratulations. 
Thank you. We couldn't have done it without you guys. You guys have been great. And I'm, I'm looking forward to 2018 and to, to everything that's in store for next year. Thank you. I am too. Well, I, I do think that unless you have more questions, <laughs> which I loved, by the way, I loved being able to do this backwards and forwards. It's, it's been wonderful. I think that actually does bring us to the end of this audio cast. Eric, thank you so much for sharing your insights today with us. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Please visit us at 107.com and keep an eye out on our blog for future episodes. This is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening.